It's a parable that Jesus tells. It's a story Jesus told because he wanted people to know uh, what it's like to be in the kingdom, to discover the kingdom of God, to discover that Jesus is who he claimed he was as the Messiah, the deliverer, the rescuer, the one who would make things right, and that because of him, everything was changing. Uh, that because the kingdom was now here, the entire created order would respond in a fresh, different way. And so to do that, he didn't preach really, really long sermons, but he often told short stories. And here's one. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. He said that the, the kingdom of heaven, what it's like when you taste and you see the goodness of who God is and what he's doing in the world, when his reign shows up again in creation, when you begin to get a grasp of that, it's like the dude walking in the field, had no idea what he was about to encounter. The moments before he trips and falls over this treasure chest, because like I said, all treasure should be kept in treasure chests. So in my brain, that's entirely what he stubs his toe on, kicks the treasure chest, opens it up, and as he does it, he realized that there's something in there that's worth more than absolutely everything he owns. So he goes back home. Remember, he puts the for sale sign on his house. He sells his Tesla or his camel or whatever it was. He gets rid of his savings and everything he had in his 401k. And he says, I'm going all in on empty field because I know buried in there is a treasure. And he does it with a big old smile on his face as everyone else looks at him and goes, dude, you're crazy. Why are you selling off your stuff? You're going to see, you're going to see, you're going to see. And then one day it says he's able to sell it all off, gets that field, and there's delight and joy. And so what we said is for us at Missio de Mesa, what we want to see is a fresh encounter with the grace of Jesus. Uh, what I hope our church is able to come out of this summer season, as wearisome or as worship-filled as it was, is with a fresh commitment to the community of Jesus, uh, because those are the kingdom people, and a fresh release for the mission, the mission with Jesus, not just for Jesus or sent by Jesus, but with Jesus. And that's going to take place not as we uh, not as we start down here, which is often what happens. Uh, so many times we want to start down here at this one right here. And we say, hey, here's the deal. There's so much in the world that needs to happen. There's so much brokenness and loneliness. And there's so much that's disordered. And so many areas where God's love needs to pervade. And so go do it, right? Go be a healing presence. Go be a redemptive presence. Go be a reconciling presence in the world. That's what the people of God are for. And hear this, that's absolutely true but we never get there if we start there. Uh, the same thing true about being the community of Jesus. Uh, I would love for our church to have a fresh commitment to the ways of Jesus being lived out together. Like something that overflowed from the heart. Uh, not because we're doing terrible at that, but there is something beautiful that happens when our imaginations are inspired again. And we realize the people that God has us around are there for us. 
Like we don't have to just trade them for another group of people, but God actually places people in our lives because that's what they need in that season and because that's what we need in that season. But that doesn't happen just by saying, hey, everybody, missio, recommit to the ways of Jesus being lived out together. Even if I yelled really loud, still wouldn't make you want to do it. But I do believe that both those things take place when we have a fresh encounter with the grace of Jesus. And we talked about a little bit last week how many times the gospel or the good news of Jesus and his redemption in this world of all that God has done and all that he's doing, of all that he wants to do in us and through us, of what he's doing in the world, across the globe, what he's doing in creation, sometimes we just get used to that. And it begins to sound like an airline announcement, the pre-flight announcements that go on that we ignore because we already heard that and to be honest what's it really going to make a difference in the next few minutes of my life but when we approach the gospel like that we miss out on tasting and experiencing the goodness of Jesus and being formed by him the goodness of Jesus and the community he has for us to do life with and the goodness of Jesus on the mission he sent us with and I don't understand how all that works. So if you're looking at me to tell you all the technicalities of how that works, I don't get it. Uh, but Anne Lamott says it like this. She says, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Uh, she's saying, I don't get it either. But I can tell you this, grace changes people in a way that law and religion never could in a way that best efforts never will. Jesus and his grace transforms in a way that we dream of and he satisfies in a way that we deeply desire. For us to become people formed by God together for the sake of others, uh, this one's directly for us, Missio, we need to regularly receive, not just recite the gospel, uh, we need to regularly receive, not just recite. Uh, we do a really good job at looking at the story of God and the activity of God, of saying uh, the Bible tells one unfolding story, and that is really good news, that God is at work in and through creation doing something amazing. Again, really, really good news, uh, that God came down, so to speak, and created everything good, right, and beautiful, put human beings at the center of his creation and told him to cultivate all its hidden potential. That's really good to know. And it sets the trajectory for all of world history. That's Genesis 1 and 2 in your Bible. The next act of the story, that rebellion came, or human beings rebelled against God and said, we want to do things our way. Uh, God, we heard your voice, we know what you said, but we think there's a good life to be had outside of your reign. The Bible calls that sin. And when we make those choices, we become sinful people, people who have participated in breaking God's creation. And unfortunately, when we make those choices, it affects others. And when Adam and Eve made those choices, they were like a kid at the ocean. And I just got back from the beach, so you guys are gonna get all kinds of ocean illustrations. Uh, but one of my favorite things to do on the beach is people watch, anybody else there? All right. Um, you guys don't have to lie. Uh, and it's the people that are standing on the shore break that really make my day. 
Like people who are looking out uh, at the ocean and then they turned around to get the Instagram photo and they turned their back to the ocean. Uh, my dad used to tell me, always keep one eye on the tide, meaning you got to always be looking at the ocean because you have no idea what it's going to do next. Because almost without fail, uh, that's when a wave would come and clobber somebody in the back and they fall over and it makes me laugh and my day is complete and I can go off to lunch. Like that's my favorite thing. Adam and Eve in that moment were like kids who were looking the other way, saying, how incredible is this? We get to eat this fruit. We get to do what we want to do. We're going to rebel against God, but it's not really going to end in death. And the minute they did, the wave of the curse came down upon them and shattered God's good creation. But God doesn't leave the world without hope. A forward arrow showing a promise that God said one day he would redeem and restore everything. One day he would send someone to heal in creation and in society and in people what was fractured at this rebellion. In your Bible, we're at Genesis chapter 12. And this story traces its way all the way through Malachi 4 where we see God's loving pursuit of his people, Israel, and his invitation time and time again for them to follow in his ways and be blessed. And time and time again, the result of living outside of his pattern of life, outside of his commands, outside of his intention for flourishing, leading to death. Israel was called to be a people who are a light to the nations, but they fail in that calling. And then in your Bible, we come to the place, act for redemption. Uh, this is symbolized by a cross, uh, which symbolizes the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's where tonight's story comes from in this story. So when we talk about sin, or we talk about brokenness, or we talk about loneliness and isolation and things not the way they're meant to be, it didn't just come in this act, but it was way back when human beings rebelled against God and how that's come through the timeline. Jesus is, lives a perfect life, declaring good news, the kingdom's here. He demonstrates what it looks like when the kingdom shows up and how it restores humans and communities and creation. And the Romans and the religious murder him for it. The cross, that's a symbol. There's many around this building, a symbol of the death of Jesus where he was murdered for our sins. But Jesus doesn't stay dead, right? Three days later, he resurrects and brings new creation into the midst of the old. It says in John that the first day of the first day of the week, when Jesus rises from the dead, something brand new breaks into creation. God's spirit, which was from the future, comes in and starts to fill creation again. And people recognize and realize, oh, all the things that Jesus said are actually true. And the great promise was that what God did in Jesus that day, he would one day do for the entirety of creation. So Jesus' followers gathered and they huddle up and they go, all right, cool. Is now the time when you're going to finally make everything right like you promised so long ago to do? And Jesus tells them there's actually another act in the story. Before I come back and restore everything, I'm sending you out as my witnesses to announce and embody good news, the kingdom of God is here. To be changed people who live differently in the world together, to reflect my glory and invite other people to be a part of what I'm doing. To invite other people to receive forgiveness and freedom and healing. 
to form communities that reflect that in neighborhoods and cities who don't live as if the king on the throne is the only king, but as if Jesus were. And he sends his spirit to empower his church to do that work. And that's the act of the story we're in today. And then one day, uh, we're told at the end of our Bibles that Jesus will return and make all things new. He will restore. He will wipe the tears from every eye. He will take what is broken and put it back together. And heaven and earth will be reunited in a fresh way that we only long for, that we look back and wonder what it was like one day, but look forward with hope. And that's our, that's our life. That, that, that's the story that we say we believe. And Missio, we become really, really good at telling that story. Uh, we become really good at knowing the different parts of it. We can do it with arrows or we can even do it with divots, right? Like we've got both versions down. Um, if you see these around, they're on somebody's shirt in here, I know it. Uh, but we've got, become really good at telling the story and rehearsing it and reciting it. If we have room to grow, I'd say maybe it would be in us receiving that good news again and recognizing that reshapes all of life. It was never meant to just be a bumper sticker on an American dream or on my truck. But that is the story that we stake everything on. And because it's true, we live a certain way. Because it's true, we're gathered here tonight. Because it's true, we have hope, even when it seems like a heavy season. Because God is a God of restoration. And we want to be able to enter in and receive these things afresh. And so tonight, with my last few minutes, I want to look at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I'm going to ask you two questions when I get done. So just so you're prepping, if you're that kind of person, you're like, hold on, let me know what these are ahead. I'm going to ask you what we learn about the message of Jesus from this story and what we learn about the mission of Jesus from this story. So as you're listening, you can make little mental notes on that. And then I'll, I'm going to turn you towards each other for a few minutes just to make some notes and see what you come up with. So listen like you're going to have to do something with it. This isn't one of those airline announcements. But let me read for us. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he just went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. Super normal thing to do. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came to him there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he says to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. I catch the scene, right? He says this in his own head. This is his narrative. This is his test. If Jesus really is who he says he is, then surely he would know what kind of woman this is. There's no way he would let her do this. And so he must not be a prophet. Uh, maybe he's recalculating what he just spent on this feast and be like, why did I invite the lame prophet? Like, I thought this guy was supposed to be good. There's no way he is who he says he is, and he doesn't have any idea what's going on. So Jesus says, I see your inner dialogue, and I raise you a public comment. Um, he goes... Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, Jesus, he says. 
two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one do you think would love him more? Uh, real quick, this was a common practice at dinner parties, uh, to get invited over somebody's house and offer up some clever riddles or stories that made everyone think, that made everyone see just how smart you were. And it was usually done by the host to the guest to be like, oh, this guy is really worth being around. Uh, Jesus flips the scene a little bit and he's like, can I tell you something? To which the host has to say yes. And he goes, there's two guys that owed money. One guy had a little debt, one guy had a big debt. Neither one could pay it back right? So both are in debt. But when the debt's cleared, which one of them do you think is more grateful? Simon replies, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, uh, this beautiful scene we've talked about, he turns to the woman, looks at the woman, tears streaming down her face, snot bubble or two probably still hanging there, uh, the smell of perfume wafting through the room, uh, this scene of her hair just matted down, makeup's running. Jesus locks eyes with her and says to Simon. So Matthew, you get to be Simon, lucky you. Brittany, you get to be the woman. Locks eyes with her. And he says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. Everybody else is probably looking over here like, how's Simon going to respond? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus says to her, locks eyes, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I love it. Powerful. Um, for tonight, you can meditate on this story all week and come out with a bunch of different things. Uh, for tonight, would you just turn to a few people and say, what do I learn about the message of Jesus from this story? And what do I learn about the mission of Jesus from this story? Imagine you're at that dinner, you go home to your house, there's another little gathering for the party, after the party, somebody comes in who wasn't there and be like, yo, I heard Jesus was at your dinner. And you're like, yeah, yeah, he was. And they're like, all right, I don't quite get it. What's his message and what's his mission? How would you respond based on that scene that you just saw? I'll give you a few minutes, turn to a few people around you uh, and offer up some of your thoughts, your reflections. What do you learn about the mission of Jesus from the story? And what do you learn about his message? Ready? Go. Who should I give the mic to that is going to talk? All right. So, oh, that's very loud, sorry. Um, one of the things that we talked about is those things, I don't know what the difference is between his message and his mission. 
like it's really hard to distinguish between those two because what he does and what he says are aligned and that's amazing. Um, so what we talked about, we talked about a lot of things. It was a lot of motions, if Brittany wants to demonstrate. <laughs> it was a lot of changing up the ways, putting, he took a person that was, did not have power and, uh, but was, had an open heart and was in need and he lifted her up and he took someone who thought that they were great and didn't need anything and stood in judgment over others and put him in his place. And he's the one to be pitied because he doesn't even know how much he needs forgiveness. He doesn't know how awful he is um, and that really he needs Jesus just as much, if not more, than this woman. And he's so blind to it. And we talked about a lot of other things, too. Brittany talked about the hills being lowered and the valleys being raised up. Yes, I love it. Uh, maybe one or two others for either the message or the mission. We can go either one. Uh, maybe something from your group that you're like, hey, I'd like to share this with everyone. Anybody? Yeah. We'd love to hear it. That... Uh he protected that woman so that she could rejoin that level of society safely. He was a safe place for her. I think that was his mission and his message. Like, even though he didn't really address her, he was addressing other people. That's what he was, that was like his function. So. Thank you. That's great. And so beautiful that he was a safe place for her to reenter in society. Uh, that he was that safety, right? Because they weren't going to come after her with Jesus there. And he, at the end of that, you walk away uh, with that encounter feeling bad for the guy who totally missed out on Jesus. And the woman is raised up and that protected, able to rejoin. And she's the one who's directly forgiven by Jesus. So in that society, even just raising that value that the, the traveling prophet would be able to see her and restore her. Uh, there's a lot that come out of that. Um, and so here's just, even for you, as you read your Bibles, it can seem like an intimidating book. It's pretty big. Um, I'll give you that. But when you break down pieces of it and ask simple questions, like what do I learn about God? What is he doing in this story? What do I learn about people in this story? It helps us to get a handle on the text of scripture together where we're able to look at it and understand it for ourselves. We don't need other people all the time to be explaining everything, but the spirit stirs this up within us and gives us thoughts and things to run with. Uh, my brilliant thought coming out of this, so I sat with this story and I was like, man, I really even just want us to continue to experience and encounter the risen Jesus today and hear him, his voice coming out over us and watching as he flips everything on its end. And if we're gonna be those kind of people, uh, here was my thought coming out of it is, I want to be the woman who is sinful. Like, I want to be the sinful woman. Go ahead and tweet that one. Yeah, there you go. Get that out. That's what Kevin said. That was the point. Of, no, but, but here's for me. When I was thinking through it, I was like, I want to be that woman. The one who was able to be at the feet of Jesus and didn't give any care to what the religious people were doing in that moment. 
Like she didn't care that all the people of power, all the people of influence, all the people who were somebody in that city were sitting around that table. She didn't care about that. She didn't care that, what, am I supposed to raise my hands for this song? Am I not supposed to raise my hands for this song? Can I sing loud? Can I not sing loud? Just ugly crying, tears down her face, reflecting on what Jesus had done. She'd obviously had an encounter with Jesus that was before this because the way the author records it he says uh, that she loved Jesus and that's why she was doing these things for her she knew that she was deeply flawed that there was something not that she had just was all messed up and that's all she was but there were parts of her story that were messed up there were things that she had done that were sin she'd harmed people and been harmed by people and she wanted to say at the feet of Jesus like I need you like, this can't be made right without you. I've experienced your grace, and this is what I want to pour out for you. And she gave no care about what was happening around her. She didn't care about the next 20 minutes when she was going to have to walk out that door and be like, wow, I just did that in front of all those people. But in that moment, what came out of her heart was worship, gratitude, generosity, love. And she would be forever marked by that experience she had at the feet of Jesus. To know and have tasted not just how bitter it was to be someone stuck in sin, but how sweet it was to be liberated and freed and made whole. And not only did Jesus say you're forgiven, and that's really incredible to imagine that Jesus locks eyes with each and every person who says they want to follow him, who in faith trust him and says you're forgiven. But the last line he says to her is go in peace, go in shalom, go in wholeness, go being restored and having what used to be fragmented brought back together. A beautiful picture of Jesus, both his message and his mission. And they are absolutely the same because he embodies everything he ever called people to do. But this was restorative. They were tastes of what it would be like one day when he puts back together the broken parts of creation, when he takes heaven and earth and reunites it, what he does in our lives when we turn to him in faith. And so what I want for us out of this to, to continue to be people who hear the stories of God's grace to others, yes, but who are writing those stories ourselves, that we taste and we see the goodness of the grace of Jesus. And yes, that compels us into a covenant community. And yes, that propels us out on mission, but it's an overflow of what we've received. When we do it that way, when we experience the grace of Jesus first, and that orchestrates and organizes and propels the rest of life, just from this story, we see that it prompts eye-wiping worship. What do I mean by that? That there's times when we reflect on the incredible way that we were messed up, that we were unable to pay the debt back, that we were flawed and fault, that we had no shot at being made right with God, that we couldn't hold all the pieces of life together, that our marriages or our parenting or our bank accounts or our jobs or our past or even looking forward to the future, we couldn't hold it all together. We were very well aware of that. But we had an encounter with Jesus that says, I see you where you're at, and I love you deeply. Uh, you're forgiven, 
You're being made whole. You are not your past. You are not your future. You are not your worst decision. You're not even your best decision. You're not your pride. You're not your arrogance. You're not your sinful patterns. You're not the brokenness that happened to you. You're not the pain that you've caused in this world. You're not your broken relationships, your broken marriage, your inability to parent your children, the inability to have children. You are not any of those things, but you are forgiven. You are loved. You are seen. Now you get to go in peace because of me. Like when we contemplate the weight of that and realize just how much we're known and loved, there should be times when that makes us wipe our eyes. You might not do full on ugly cry, hair down, wiping somebody's feet in your missional community, and that's okay. But there should be times when we're considering the greatness of the grace of Jesus and it overwhelms us, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. That doesn't mean that we just chase emotional experiences, but if we're whole beings, we will have emotional experiences with Jesus. It also creates a gracious community. Imagine the kind of missional community that this woman would lead, who sat at the foot of Jesus, was, had her faith affirmed, forgiveness offered, hope dealt out, and then was sent out in peace to go into the world and announce and embody that kind of Jesus to others. Can you imagine what her missional community would look like? What her dinner parties look like? The people that would surround her table? That's what grace creates. And it also grows grateful generosity in our hearts. Uh, there's another telling of this story that I think is the same story, that one of the people look at all the perfume that's spilled out, and they're like, hey, Jesus, didn't you realize we could have fed a lot of people with all that money? She just poured on your feet. And there's times when there's extravagant giving that overflows, though, out of the generosity caused by gratitude in the weight of what Jesus had done, and it doesn't have to make sense to everyone else watching. Uh, the prompting that takes place in our heart is one of, I have received so much from Jesus that it makes sense for me to go at his feet and just worship him extravagantly. Uh, not because the gift might be the most amazing thing ever, but the one I'm giving it to is the most incredible thing ever. And it's a life of generosity, not stinginess. The way we live and the way we give of ourselves and our time and our treasures should reflect that Jesus is this most important thing to us. But again, you can't come at that and say, so be generous. Why? So be giving yourself over to community, to being known and knowing others. Why? Even to trying to have emotional experiences when you get together in worship, you can't trace that alone. It all comes back to that central thing at the top. It has to come out of an experience with Jesus. And so that's what we want to continually call this community back to, is experiencing, encountering Jesus. So what do I do with this? That was just a lot. Uh, first thing, I invite you to receive that good news. Uh, not just when you get home, but even now, be praying and asking God to give you what he wants you to have in this moment, whether that is an affirmation of something you believed, an invitation into something new, the reality that this is actually the true story of the world, that he is actually the risen Savior. Receive that. Whether for the first time 
or the 500th. To again have your heart inflamed with passion for Jesus. Receive it. In the next five minutes, so in the next little bit of time, not just five seconds, but five minutes, uh, we're going to welcome you to the table. Uh, we're going to come to the table and take some of the juice and the bread. And then as we sing the song, you'll, you'll return to your seats and take communion on your own. But as you do that, you have a perfect reminder in your hands of the incredible grace that you've received. Uh, that God, though he was rich, became poor for our sake. That though he was a king, he served us all. That though he was perfect, he took on himself the weight of our sin. And we come to the table every week to remember that, that we bring our need and he sustains us. And then the, the last step over the next five days or so, I invite you to continue the conversation. Uh, you're in control of the dialogues that happen around your tables or that happen over your coffees or that happen when you're together with friends. And if it's people in the Missio family, I encourage you, ask them, what has your experience with grace been over the last few weeks? Uh, we talk a lot about the heaviness and the heartache and the hurt. But what about the experiences of grace in those things? Uh, where have we seen and tasted forgiveness and freedom? Uh, people who are forgiven much worship much. Let's cultivate and continue that conversation. And then maybe what would it look like for us to be a community that embodies this dimension of the life of Jesus and be encouraged by what takes place out of that? Let me pray for us and then I'll welcome you to the table. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much.